Good morning. Today, we, as we're getting this ready here, you can look at the outline here. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5. And we're also going to get into 2 Corinthians a little bit. Excuse me. <coughs> get the frog out of my throat. And in 2 Corinthians, we'll see some things that we know to be true that Paul will later refer to when he writes another epistle but about weakness and so on. So let's go to the first slide, which will be 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5. I'll read the text on that slide. It says here, And I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not in the persuasiveness of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and power in order that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, let's stay on the slide we're on here. I actually read from the title slide there. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 3. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 3. And I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling, Paul said. Let's uh, pray as we think about what God did through Paul. Thank you, Lord, for your word, your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, and the power that you can express through your gospel, even in earthen vessels, and anyone you give the gospel to, you can use to preach it clearly. Give us boldness to do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 3 says, And I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. Now, some people have a hard time believing that the Apostle Paul, with his boldness and status as an apostle who saw the, called it by Christ, saw the risen Lord, how could he be weak and full of fear? But as a matter of fact, this is not hyperbole. This is literal. This is exactly what happened. So as we go back to Acts 18, verses 9 through 10, and I'll read that to you, we'll see that that's exactly what we're learning as we're going through the same section in Sunday school when I'm teaching. I'll, let me read that to you, Acts 18, 9, and 10. The Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And so Paul, being encouraged by the Lord himself, stayed and taught in Corinth for a year and a half. And as we're reading 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking about what happened and how he came there. Now, I want to talk about fear, weakness, and trembling. And a number of people have noticed that I think it's correct, and we'll show you from 2 Corinthians that this is really something important. Paul does, is not unlike others who are called by God. Jot these downs. We don't have time to turn to all of them, but the first one I want to reference is Exodus 4 and verse 10. Exodus 4 and verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. That's what Paul 
or excuse me, that's what Moses said to the Lord when he was called. The, the, the context is a theophany. So, you know, Aaron was designated as the spokesperson. So there was another person who spoke for God authoritatively, Moses. He was in fear and trembling in the context of speaking God's word. Turn also or jot down Isaiah 6 and verse 5. Isaiah 6 and verse 5. Another theophany. Look at what happens when God appeared to Isaiah. Then I said, woe is me for I am ruined. That's what Isaiah said. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah, in the context of a theophany, was full of fear and couldn't believe, how could I be sent? But then when he says, here I am, send me, it wasn't really the message people wanted to hear. He was sent to preach that God's judgment was coming. One more, Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah 1, 6. Jot this down, Jeremiah 1, 6. Then I said, alas, Lord God, Behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. There's so many connections to these words, the fear, weakness, asthenia is the Greek word, trembling. The word trembling is interesting if you want to look that up. But in one context, the mountain trembled and the people trembled. Moses trembled. But soon the people forgot about that and built a golden calf. And so it's good to tremble at God's word. That's the fear of God. And one of the themes that we want to look at today is that God uses people who have been humbled and are not preaching themselves, are not full of self, but know the fear of God, but yet the message is true and must be preached. Let me just give you one more verse and quote it. We'll go to the next slide. Isaiah 66, 2. For the Lord says, For my hand has made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares Yahweh. But to this one I will look. Isaiah 66, 2. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit, who trembles at my word. Those who realize the power, the dignity, the awesomeness of God will tremble at his word because it's a fearful thing. They tremble. Paul came in that way. This is literal. Let's go to the second part of that verse. Oh, excuse me. Go to the next slide, which will be 1 Corinthians 2, 4a. And he said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasiveness of wisdom. Now, that word is disputed by the scholars, but I did a lot of work on it. I gave you some of the results. By the way, Jeremiah 29.8 in the Septuagint is numbered uh, Jeremiah 36.8. But in, in each case, there's, there's a root from this word. And so most likely this idea is uh, to earnestly persuade and don't listen to somebody just because they're able to do that. Let me cite 
Jeremiah 36, 8, and I'll use the numbering system that we have in our Bibles. Jeremiah 29, 8 is the one that we have. 36, 8 is the Septuagint. Let me just quote that. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. There's our word. Don't let the diviners persuade you. Do not listen to the dreams they dream. So the point is this. Paul didn't come as a deceiver who was so eloquent, so convincing, and so powerful in how he could speak that they would listen to him even if he had a wrong message. There are a lot of false prophets who sound so good and so persuasive that people listen to them. But Paul coming in fear and trembling, weakness, who wants a weak apostle? Give us a powerful one. Give us an articulate one. But that's how he was, literally. Think about this. Before Paul was converted, did he have any doubts? Was he feeling badly about breathing out threats and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord? Was he sure that he was right? Was he bold? Was he pressing forward? I'm going to get these Christians arrested, killed, whatever it takes. What happened? The Lord had a different idea, didn't he? He saw the Lord and God stopped him. A lot of things happened. We need to read Luke Acts for what it says according to the author's intent. Speech is logos, preaching, Kerygma, it's actually a noun, but the message he brought is the message of the gospel. Let's go to the second part of that verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 4b. How did he come? But with a demonstration of the spirit and power. Now, here's where we need to be discerning and understanding the author's intent. A lot of the teachers who are very, very popular don't understand the issue. Many people believe that power means just some dynamic thing that happens. People fall on the floor. Some sort of a sign and wonder happens. And they literally have meetings. I've spoken about this before. Come to the meeting. Signs and wonders are going to happen. You better be there. But God's in charge of what he does. You can't command God to do what you think he should do so people will listen to you. And so this demonstration of the spirit and power, I uh, said this is a hendiadus, which means two words express the same idea. There's good reason to say that. It's not like there's two different things. The Holy Spirit powerfully at work converts lost sinners. How do you know that? Well, the false prophets can do signs and wonders. Antichrist will do signs and wonders. There were many things that happened. The magicians in Pharaoh's court could do some things. But who besides God through his spirit can take a dead sinner, hostile to God, hostile to the gospel, hating things of God, convert that person and cause the same one by his grace to become a proclaimer of the truth of Jesus Christ. That was Saul of Tarsus, who we know as Paul the Apostle. 
There's no psychological, sociological, or any other explanation than God did it. God did it. That's the demonstration of the spirit of power. And the weakness and fear with which Paul came from Athens to Corinthians to Corinth was very literal. And we saw that in Acts. There are some passages that demonstrate the idea that this is the Holy Spirit and power as one. Let me just give you two. The first one's Luke one thirty-five, And this was spoken to Mary by an angel of the Lord. And the angel answered and said to her, Luke one thirty-five, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. It's not two different things that happen. The Holy Spirit and his power for the reason for the virgin birth. Eric has preached on that. How about Acts 10.38? Jot this down. Acts 10.38. And you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God is with him. Now, Messiah, Christos, means the anointed one. This is the Messiah. This is the one who existed from all eternity as God and with God, the second person of the Trinity. He is the anointed one. So the Holy Spirit and power are ways of speaking about Messiah. And so the preaching of Christ comes with God's anointing and power because Christ sent his apostles to preach. The word demonstration is another difficult term, and I have a lot of data to back this up, but for now let's give you the summary. The word uh, translated demonstration is only used here in the New Testament, but the most uh, solid evidence points to that means proof, proof. God displayed his power through a weak vessel of clay who who was rejected by many people. But the evidence, the demonstration, was that God used the gospel to convert former enemies, former people who were hostile to God into the truth, who hated everything that Paul had to preach, be they Jews or Gentiles, and that power was the means of converting lost sinners, preaching the gospel. Let's go to the next slide, because I really want to spend some time in 2 Corinthians as well today to explain some important things. 1 Corinthians 2.5, in order that. Now, this is a purpose statement, hina, often a purpose statement in the Greek. In order that, why did it, let's just look at the context. Why? Because we'll see this. In order that your faith would not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So there were others, sophists, orators, false prophets, magicians, people who could convince one way or another, but no matter how talented they were, how persuasive they were, what all happened around them and what people thought about it, 
No false message will ever save someone bound for perdition and eternal damnation from their sins other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the weakness and fear, the trembling, is not uncommon for true prophets. We saw that in Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, others. But the message is the one that God ordained by which he saves the lost. So people can uh, give allegiance to various preachers or groups or ideas and who has the biggest following, who seems like they have the best thing that I want. But that's not the power of God. The power of God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed boldly, without apology, accurately, truly. And those who believe, remember in Acts, the Lord said, I have many people in this city, so preach it, keep preaching it. Some of them will find out who they are. He stayed a year and a half. Let me make a statement about this. This is not faith in signs and wonders, but faith in God's promise to save dead sinners through the gospel. Has anyone ever come up with a message that would save dead sinners besides the gospel? No. This message is about the gift of eternal life, not your best life now. Some people, when they're young, may think this is their best life now. Eventually, you won't think that way. Let's go and do a little review on the next slide. Back to what I preached previously from 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24. And this will remind us what the gospel is all about. For indeed, Jews asked for sign miracles. This is from the Lexham English Bible. Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a cause for stumbling, a scandalon, to those, to, but to the Gentiles' foolishness. Remember, I preached that. It's where we get our word moronic. There it means literally just foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So it's very clear in 1 Corinthians that the idea of power was through the cross of Jesus Christ, where he died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. And it's shocking, frankly, when through my life, there were times when I finally got this clear, that's what to preach, no matter what. This is 30, 40 years ago. Explaining it, some people are glad to hear it, and other preachers say, "No, I, no, no, you don't understand." If if a preacher doesn't want to hear about Christ crucified, and doesn't want to preach it clearly, something's seriously wrong. Why would you, in the name of Christ, preach something else, and be embarrassed about what's going on? Weakness and fear and trembling doesn't disprove anything. And God knows how to humble those who walk in pride. I'll cite that later. That came from a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. But we need to understand what the author means. Signs and wisdom please those who reject the gospel, 
but only further the deception. Let's go to some applications. First one, human weakness will not impede the gospel for those God calls and empowers. Human weakness will not impede the gospel. It didn't for Paul. Secondly, pride and self-reliance do hinder the gospel. Third, those who do not be deceived by false claims based on misinterpretation of Scripture. Here's the key thing. If we can study, look at the context, learn, understand, find out, what did God say? Can I really understand this? What did the Holy Spirit-inspired author mean? If that's possible, and it is, because the Scripture is clear, then that's the message. And it needs to be proclaimed. But some people will tell you the Bible says things that it really doesn't say, and they can't back it up with any scholarly or careful study. Let's look at 2 Corinthians now. We'll stay in 2 Corinthians. Interestingly, Eric has some points to make this morning in 2 Corinthians and other passages. First one, let's talk about apostolic weakness in quotes. In other words, the message was powerful, however weak the apostles may have been. So let's look at that. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 from the New American Standard Bible. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed in every way, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Let's think about that. And then if you want to turn to it, the context is important too. I'll allude to the verses before that. So why the clay pots? Interesting. That's one way to translate that. Now, if you had a really, really valuable treasure, pile of very expensive diamonds, would you stick it in a clay pot? And maybe it sit on the trunk of your car and it falls off. Oh, well, went down the gutter. We saw something like that the other day in a baseball game. I don't want to distress. Somebody lost a... Did you hear about that? And there's a $200,000 diamond fell off his ear. They never found it. Oh, well, buy another one. Well, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want 200000 hanging. I'm, I wouldn't want... Well, never mind. But the point is, there's an irony to having a treasure in a clay pot. Now, if you turn to this in your Bibles... You, uh, you can find it on your phone. I saw a preacher on TV preaching from his phone. Now, I've never done that. He must have been young enough, uh, young enough to read the little print that you see on the phone. But look at 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. And I'll just quote it to you. We don't have it on the slide. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. Look at what Paul said. For we do not preach ourselves. So Paul is not eloquent. He's weak, he's fearful, needs encouragement from the Lord, but he's not preaching himself, he's preaching Christ. Christ was crucified in weakness, but raised in power. Let me read on. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, 
and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Then the verse we get to. So the glory and the power and the light doesn't come from an eloquent preacher or a powerful man of God or a persuasive orator. It comes from God who takes dead sinners living in darkness and transfers them in the, into the light of the kingdom of his beloved son. Conversion is going from darkness to light, from being dead in sins to alive and having the gift of eternal life. And if you just read Acts chapter 9 and the various things that happened around Saul Tarsus' conversion, you can see that. Now, what about these clay pots? And um, there's a purpose clause. Notice, so that on this verse here before the red on the outline there. So that the surpassing greatness, again, a purpose clause. Hina. And then the surpassing greatness, and I don't want to spend too much time just following that through, but I, I couldn't help myself. I spent too much time digging around, I think, Septuagint, other uses, Josephus, and so on. But this um, surpassing greatness is um, a hooper, hooperbole, where we get our word hyperbole. And I did a whole printout on that. Boy, there's a lot of them. But, but not as many as you might think. But one verse has it twice, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Hooperbole. Well, you know what a hyperbole is, right? Well, it's sort of like the throw, by, throw beyond. There it's used twice. Um, hooperbole, ice into Hooperbole, she was twice. Surpassing, surpassing greatness. Well, why would it be like that if it's in a clay pot? Because God is bringing honor and glory to his own name through using unusual and unexpected means to send forth the message of salvation. The surpassing hyper. Bole, hyperbole, power is not from ourselves. Paul said we don't preach ourselves. And sometimes in my early years as a Christian, I went to some meetings where I wondered if the sound system was shut off, there wouldn't be any power at all. As far as the message, there was a guy, I was in Bible college the first year we were there before we were married, and there was this downtown preacher and he went around with his mic, and he just said, power! And he'd sling the mic around, and power! And it would just boom. And I thought, man, if the speakers blew, there would be no power at all. <laughs> but the fact is, it's the power of the message, not this preacher. What about the clay pots? Well, that was the apostolic situation, but he wasn't crushed. He wasn't crushed. He wasn't destroyed. He didn't give up. We have the same message. We're not apostles, but anyone 
who believes and preach the gospel, you think that somehow the message has to be different? No, the only thing we can preach is Christ. Let's go now to one that um, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8, and I know that this passage is considered difficult, but I think that there's some things we can clearly know. This is about Paul's thorn in the flesh, but really that's not what it's about. For decades, people want to know, well, what was that thorn? What was the thorn? Well, we can speculate about the thorn, the thing that stuck him, but that's missing the point. The point is the danger of pride. The danger of pride. The thing that will destroy ministries, preachers, teachers, families, and anything is pride. I'm, I'm better than that. I can't really uh, get any better. I'm so good. It's not good. The Lord knows how to humble those who walk in pride. Now, let's look at this. Because Paul said later in the same second Corinthians, because of the surpassing greatness of this, of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from what? Exalting myself. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Why? To keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Now, let's unpack this and see what we know and what we learn and how that can apply to us. Here, this uh, surpassing greatness, let me make sure that's right, is hyperbole. Yep, there it is again, 2 Corinthians twelve seven, Same word, hyperbole, but not meaning hyperbole how we use it, but this excessive greatness of the revelations. What are, what are, the, what are the revelations? Paul was entrusted the gospel. The Lord had spoken to him, appeared to him, called him as one born out of time, appointed him as last of all apostles saw the Lord, and he was being attacked by his opponents. Don't listen to this guy. Look at him. His speech is contemptible. His presence is unimpressive. Don't listen to him. The hyper apostles, the false ones, the false prophets, they all look great. Look at this guy. It is a real danger. So because of the hyperbole, hyperbole of the revelations, apocalypsis, where we get our word apocalypse, for this reason, he now purpose clause, the purpose that's negated for this reason to stop me from exalting myself. Reminds me of Acts 18. Do not fear any longer. Keep being strong. Keep preaching. The Lord definitely knows how to humble those who walk in pride. So it was given. Look at that. Do you see that? Was given. I have it highlighted in blue. That's a divine passive. What does that mean? By God. You know how many times I've heard people say, well, you have to rebuke Satan and then the thorn will go away. But the context is uh, clear that this was a divine passive. It was given to him by God. 
because he appealed to God for it to go away. Why? To keep him from exalting himself. Interesting word as well. If you want to take notes on this, let me make sure I got time. Oh, I got more time than I thought. Well, you're, you're stuck. You got to listen to me. Here's what we want to learn. Exalting myself. And it means to be hyper lifted up. Hooper aero, hyper lifted up. A lifting up. Jot this down. 2 Thessalonians 2 4, it's used. Who opposes and exalts himself, same word, about Antichrist, above every so called God or object of worship. So he t- takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Same word, interesting. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, he wrote 2 Thessalonians. Those who are truly called by God with the message of the gospel don't need to be hyper lifted up. It's fatal. God is able to humble, humble those who walk in pride. This skolops, the thorn, sharp pointed object, it's something that would cause constant irritation. How often do people say, what was that thorn? It was a false teacher. It was an ailment. It was this. It was that. We don't need to know what the thorn was. We need to know why it was given, which is revealed. To keep the Apostle Paul from exalting himself. An angelos, a messenger of Satan, doesn't mean necessarily that it was a demon or whatever. Surely he was still in the realm of God. But what happens when somebody says, well, Satan's attacking me? Well, what's Satan's attack? He's the accuser of the brethren. And the primary attack is to keep anyone from preaching Christ, to not stand firm. So if Satan attacks, do you start rebuking Satan? Or do you ask God for grace to remember the word of God? Who's in charge of the universe, Satan or God? He implored God. God gave him the thorn, so he implored God. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it may leave me. So they would not be over uplifted. Even uh, Dr. Barnett in his commentary said they might not be over uplifted. Same word here. Let's go on to verse 9. And he has said, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. There'd be a lot less people volunteering to be preachers if they realized that it might mean you get knocked down a whole lot of times. But if you trust in God, he'll, he'll lift you up. He'll keep you we need God to empower us with boldness for the gospel. And the earthen vessels are true, clay pots. Power is perfected in weakness. So whatever that thorn was, now the perfect tense here could mean Paul remembered what said, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is perfected in weakness. It still applies. And you can look that up, but... He knew what the answer was. I'm better off with the weakness, the problems, the, the 
thorn, whatever it was, because God is going to use this to bring forth the gospel and to complete the ministry that Paul had. That's what we learned. Let me give a longer quote from Dr. Barnett. I want people to have an appreciation for scholarship. In my life, one of the things that have harmed a lot of people is the lie that if you study, then that's really bad. Just let the spirit tell you what it means. Scholarship is important. Not every scholar is right, but we want to know what God said. So I'll quote this. Dr. Barnett, Christ's reply to Paul's prayer must be seen as the climax, says Barnett, not only of this passage, 12, 1 through 10, and of the full speech, 11, 1 through 12, 13, but in some ways, the entire second letter to the Corinthians. Whatever the stake thorn was, and however great his pain, for Paul, he testifies that the grace of Christ was sufficient in dealing with it. So there we learn. Now, I want to allude to something. If you want to jot this down in your notes, jot down Daniel 4, 28 through 37. I'm just going to quote verse 37. Daniel 4, 28 to 37. Even a Babylonian pagan king found out that God can humble those who walk in pride. We all find it out. We want to serve God. We can hide the fact, try to act like we've never been humbled or we've never had a weakness or nothing ever went wrong, but it'll be found out. But what did Nebuchadnezzar say at the end of that? Daniel 4, 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true, and his ways just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Unquote. Daniel 4, 37. So if the pagan Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar found that out, certainly Paul, that's the lesser, the greater, the apostle, His grace is sufficient. What about you? Is there any who know Christ here who haven't failed? Failed the people that love you? Failed your family? And wondered if God could ever use you again? I have. But the acid test isn't whether we ever failed or didn't, or whether we're weak or not, but that we humble ourselves, repent, call on the name of the Lord, and preach Christ. We must preach Christ. God is able to humble those who walk in pride. But power is perfected in weakness. Now, there's something that's been claimed I want to deal with right here. We've got some time to do so. Now we're going to go back to Acts 17.30 and 31. Acts 17.30 and 31. And first, let me address the false claim that many people have heard and made. And I promised some of our critical issues readers that I would deal with this because many people have come out of movements that stake their claim on the idea that Paul failed in Athens. And their claim, and it wasn't really new, it was made in the early 20th century, was that Paul tried to be eloquent or 
tried to be persuasive in Athens, and it basically failed there, so he switched to doing signs and wonders. Now, the vineyard movement, many charismatic groups have claimed that. Others, for other reasons, have claimed that. But the only thing we need to know is what Luke, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, intended to tell us. What did Luke say? He wrote this, and it's about Saul of Tarsus, now Paul, the apostle. Did Luke want us, as we read Acts 17, Acts 18, well, Paul failed, now he's going to do signs and wonders. And the reason he had fear and trembling was because he just failed. That's not right. I'll prove it to you. Acts 17, 30, 31. Therefore, this is what Paul preached. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That is what we have from Luke at the end of this statement, and it'll go on and we'll see what happens. But did Luke intend us to believe that Paul failed? No. Did he change his message? No. Did he change his procedure? No. What did Jesus say to the apostles before Paul was converted? That repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name, starting Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Luke Acts is a two-volume work. It ends up with Paul going to Rome. Luke wanted us to know that repentance was preached, not only to Jews, but to Athenian philosophers. Now, before he got to this point, what are the things that are covered? I have these in my notes. Paul preached, I'm reading what I wanted to remind myself to tell you, Paul preached many important doctrines in Athens. You can look these up for yourself. God is the creator of the world. So he preached that God created the world, all things in it. This means God is omnipotent, omniscient, purposeful, sovereign. He's the ultimate creator. God is is the sustainer of the universe. In him we walk and move and have our being. Do you think the universe would hold together if God decided to let, let it all go? No. Even the scientists know that we'd be already dead. Entropy would have, the second law of thermodynamics means there'd be no universe. It can't be eternally old. He preached God is the sustainer of the universe. He preached that the whole human race descended from Adam. Eric preached that from Matthew. He is sovereign over time and history. He's transcendent. He's close at hand. He's not like man-made idols. All of that in these verses. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you think that somehow Paul figured, well, that failed. Let's try something else. No, don't listen to that. I know people that were deceived by that. 
people who went into the seeker movement, the signs and wonders movement. No, 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 that's not right. This is the truth. Paul preached the truth in Athens. He preached the truth in Corinth. And he stayed there a year and a half because despite his weakness and fear, the Lord said, I have many people in this city go on preaching. He didn't change. Repentance for forgiveness of sins, thematic, as I said, in Luke Acts. I wonder how many people have given up believing the Bible, given up on even Christian claims because they've been harmed by false movements, they've been let down, they've been deceived by false preachers, they've seen the people that they trusted fail and fall and never come back. But the message of the gospel is based on cold, sober truth, and God cannot lie. And let me cite here, as you think about the gospel, I want to preach the gospel to you right here. We have one more slide left. But think about this. I'm going to cite, you can jot this down, Acts 26, 16 to 18. Jot it down, Acts 26, 16 to 18. As we head toward the end of Acts, Paul ends up going to Rome. But when he was called before kings, authorities, Jewish authorities, Roman authorities, Agrippa, Festus, various ones, I want to cite from Acts 26, 16 to 18, what the Lord said to Saul of Tarsus, now Paul. Quote, but get up and stand on your feet for this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you. That's what the Lord said to Paul, which he told before kings. Rescuing, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Then you can read the rest. Paul told that to people that didn't want to listen to his message. Read it. It's amazing. He was actually brought before kings. And when he got there, did he say, hey, king, I think this is pretty, I can help you. It's going to be better. No, he preached Christ. Preach Christ. What about you? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you know that Jesus isn't just a founder of some kind of a religion? He's the creator. John 1, 1 through 18. He preexisted as God with God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. Fully human, fully God. He predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, and he was raised. Every sermon in Acts is about the resurrection. It mentions it. The definitive proof. We're not asking anybody to join a religion. 
but to be rescued from sin, darkness, and death by believing on the Lord Jesus. He bodily ascended into heaven and he reigns at the right hand of God. Psalm 110 and verse 1. That's who he is. What does he tell us is needed? Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from darkness, sin, life, self, and believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Today, turn to Christ. And this is objective, powerful truth is revealed in the Bible. We have one more slide. I want to show you that this claim that Paul failed to do signs and wonders, so he had to go do something else, is not true. He actually didn't even fail because the response, as Luke is telling us, wasn't, well, that didn't work, let's try something else. Let me read it. Acts 17, 32-34. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Stop right there. Paul preached the resurrection lots of places. He kept preaching the resurrection of Christ. We saw in Acts 26, he was still doing it. If he preaches the resurrection to the Athenians, he preached the resurrection to the Corinthians, he preached the resurrection as he went on through other places, and ultimately in, before kings and authorities, he preached the resurrection. He didn't change anything. Let's read. So some mocked. Well, that's always the case. Most people don't like hearing the gospel. Others said, we'll hear you again about this. Now, I used to think, well, that means they were saying, ah, you're, go away, we don't want to hear you. But I don't know that the context is saying that. They would think about it and might give him another hearing, however you read that. So Paul went from their midst. But look at this. Some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Eropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This wasn't a fruit, fruitless mission. It was a mission ordained by God that Saul of Tarsus, converted by Jesus Christ, now Paul the Apostle, goes to the seat of wisdom, learning the Greek culture, the Roman um, rule, as, as was expressed there, and what could be done. And people were debating ideas, and he preached Christ. He preached repentance. He preached the person of Christ and the fact that God is who he claims to be and that there's a coming judgment. There's no failure there. That anybody believed is a miracle of God's grace. What kind of preacher will come and say, oh, no, no, he failed. Now we got to go do signs and wonders. Then they go further and say, Paul and the apostle, other apostles, weren't unique. We need new apostles and prophets who speak for God. So we have C. Peter Wagner, John Wimber, who did the vineyard, the New Apostolic Reformation. And so we're the apostles. But they fail. They, They fake things. They fall away. They don't want to preach Christ. That's not apostles. This isn't failure. Anybody being saved out of the pagan world is a miracle of God's grace and not a failure. Don't believe that kind of thing. 
The miracle is that anybody is saved. The miracle is that I'm saved, or you, or anybody who believes the gospel. And why the fear and trembling in Corinth? Because continually there were hostilities and difficulties all along the line. And the Lord said, stay here. I have many people in this city. We don't know how many, but he had people. So my points are this. Luke does not portray this as a failure. Paul did not switch the signs and wonders. Paul did not change anything to anything demanded by sinners, be they Jew or Gentile. Here's the point. For those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know your sins are forgiven, do not be intimidated. God will keep you. We're still here in history because God is going to still save people out of this wicked world. And he's going to use the means he's always used, the foolishness of the message preached to save those who will believe. That's why we're here. We'll have hostility. We'll be hated. We can't count on who's going to think it's a good idea that we do what we do. But if we have boldness and confidence and we preach Christ, God will save people that we never thought would be saved. I know that with all my heart. So do not fear. Stand strong. Trust in Christ. Be bold in the gospel. And God will use the message to save those who will believe. And I thank God that people will come and just open the scriptures. What did God say? What did God say? Let's close with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy that you sent your son, the awesome creator, into our world to be mocked and ridiculed by people he could have wiped out at any time. But instead, he suffered shame so that we could become honored sons and daughters that don't even deserve to be part of your family. Lord, I pray for everyone here that you give us hope and confidence and boldness and that we might continue strong in the faith and not cave in as the wicked world gets even more wicked all around us. We need you, Lord, and I pray that today some would come and turn to you through the gospel. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.